0: A small district cooling network started in one corner of Paris and slowly, slowly expanded. So now it covers the whole city. And that's how I think it would would happen in India's cities as well.
1: Hello and welcome to the season two of Understanding the Future. I am your host Puneet Gandhi and Climate Center for Cities is excited to bring to you a podcast about the future of work in the field of climate change, urban development, sustainability and innovation. We will talk to experts working on ground as well as in the top management of government and non-governmental organizations to better understand how the field looks like in future. This will help us in preparing to enable climate actions, as well as gauge the type of skill sets and jobs that would be required in future to solve complex challenges. If you are listening to it for the first time, do tune into Season 1. Hello and welcome to the season two of Understanding the Future. I'm your host, Puneet Gandhi, and today we have with us Benjamin Hickman. He's the advisor, Cities Unit, Energy and Climate Branch for the United Nations Environment Program. He will help us understand about district cooling in cities. Welcome to the show, Benjamin. Thank you. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you too. So let's start with understanding what is district cooling. Is it just a big AC we are talking about over here or was it what it Yeah. It's
0: a big AC. I mean that's one way to put it. I think, you know, like we have different ways of describing it at UNEP. And what I what I'll do maybe is try to give you my my favorite way is I think imagine what's what you have coming into your home. Like you might have you might have water, you might have gas, you might have electricity. And in many countries around the world, what they also have is either hot water or cold water coming in. And that's all it is at the essence is that rather than producing your own hot water or producing your own cooling, instead, it's piped into your building from a central location. And what we have is in many cities, they'll have an underground network of pipes with hot water or cold water um insulated pipes and those connect into your building in the basement and that replaces your air conditioning system or it replaces you know in colder play in colder climates it will replace your rate your um electric heaters or heat pumps and why why do we do that i guess is it's got a long history district heating is over a 100 years old um and actually there's evidence the romans even did district heating back over thousands of years ago, um, it's basically a more efficient way of of providing heating and cooling to a building. And and obviously for India, we're much more interested in cooling, although we do do look at district heating in some of the colder parts. Um, It's it's far more efficient for uh, a building to be supplied with hot water or cold water than for it to produce it itself. And that is, just well established in in many parts, many many countries, many cities. That's well established. There are some caveats to that, but in general, that's that's the case. So we produce hot water, cold water centrally, pipe it to buildings, and that replaces your air conditioner. That's the essence of it. Um, yeah. That
1: that sounds somewhere simple enough, <laughs> but I think we will get into <laughs> the technicalities of it at yeah, the yeah of course, stage. Uh But so. Does this change, again, geographically, uh, this hot water and cold water systems, or do they remain yeah. somewhere similar across continents? But yeah, somewhere it would be heating, somewhere it would be cooling.
0: Yeah, it, it does change. Um, I mean, the, the essence of the idea doesn't change. And, and one thing I'd like to add is that often, often when we talk about district cooling uh, and we're piping cold water into your building, it's also a service model, just like you know um, uh, you pay for electricity, you pay for water, you pay for gas, you also pay for cooling so a part of the district when we talk about district cooling it's obviously the technology, but it's also it's a business uh, model selling you cooling and that's quite an important distinction which I can come to and what we see in different geographies uh, there's a lot of diversity, often based on the climate, so if we look into say Northern Europe, Uh, we have district cooling systems. Some of the biggest in the world are in Europe, but they're often linked with district heating systems that already exist. And it will take, if there's too much heat in the district heating system, it might use that to produce cooling with something called an absorption chiller. And we also see that in Japan and in Korea and in China. Uh, So we see these hybrid systems which provide heating and cooling. There's a there's a lot of opportunities for uh, capturing waste heat in those markets. And also because the climate is slightly colder, a lot of them are also, you know, using seawater that very cold and using that to provide cooling into the district cooling system. So one example in Copenhagen, which is quite a cold city, I've been there, they can take the fresh freshness, coolness from the sea and use that to provide air conditioning to buildings. That's because the sea is quite cold. <laughs> so yeah, we have those sort of systems. We also have um, systems such as in Malaysia, uh, where we have, there's a system called Cyber Jaya, which is just running simply off uh, electric chillers, producing cold water, storing it, and then pumping it around to different buildings. That model is also quite common in the Middle East. Um, and, Quite a few projects like that in North America. So yeah, it, you do get a you do get a geographical diversity, but the basic essence of providing cold water to a building, rather than it producing it itself, is the same. Whereas yeah, the technology to produce that cold water can change
1: geographically. Yeah, and that's interesting. And so what is, what is the size variation that we are looking at? What can be the smallest size and what can be the largest size
0: in this kind of system? That... Yeah, so we actually, I think this has sort of changed historically, let's say. I think there's a lot of emphasis on larger systems previously, in district cooling. Um, you know, some of the largest systems in the world, such as in Dubai, huge, huge pipes over one meter in diameter, pumping chilled water through the city. But I think as, as, the, as the concept has matured and it goes also into new markets where it's a very new concept, we're seeing very small systems which might just be connecting up you know, two, three buildings together. And why connect two, three buildings? Well, it means instead of each building having their own chiller, their own cooling tower on the roof, they can just share a system. And by sharing that system, it's more cost-effective. You actually need less chillers if you're sharing because there's different people, different buildings are using cooling at different times. So, yeah, we, just to say we have very small projects all the way up to very large projects. Um, and it shouldn't be, it's, it's, it's good to find the middle ground, but it shouldn't be an impediment if you have just you know two, three buildings which need cooling. Consider this solution,
1: okay uh, and in that case what what is the case for India like as of now? what are we seeing the development in this sector for the yeah. Indian context? Is it more towards the south or coastal areas or more towards the central region where there is much more heat, uh, which is like, again much more drier heat than other places yeah. yeah, so I
0: think I mean first to say, I think most of india geographically except some of the sort of the north north, northwest and when I say north I'm talking into Utrakan and these kind of places they don't necessarily need district cooling because they don't necessarily need air conditioning full stop but um, whether it's a humid coastal place or a dry area like Nagpur these can all have district cooling installed because they all they all need air conditioning in some form and what we promote from from UNEP side is district cooling in combination with measures like building efficiency passive cooling so all of these things should be taken together um because air conditioning should be the last resort obviously if you can have a fan on keep a fan on but eventually if it gets too hot obviously air conditioning it it is it is no longer a luxury in some of those places and in terms of projects in india we're seeing a slow momentum building with more and more projects coming up and what I what I mentioned earlier about district cooling being a business model, this sort of becomes important here because there's actually a lot of projects in India where buildings are sharing cooling. You know, you look at Infosys campuses, a lot of airports. This is already being done on a technology level, which is great because that shows the technology works in India really well. What there are fewer projects of is where it's being sold as a service. So that would be a district cooling operator selling you every month cooling. And there, there's a more limited number of projects. There's Gift City, which has been established in Gujarat, which I think is eventually planned to be 180,000 refrigeration tons, which is a big number in district cooling terms. Let's say that your typical air conditioner in your home might only be one, 1.5 tons. So, you know, we're talking over 100,000 of that. So it's a big, big project. Um, that's, in, that's slowly building out as well. Um, there's also a project just south of Delhi in Gugao called DLF Cyber City. Um, this is a 78,000 ton uh, district cooling system that produces electricity and cold water at the same time using a technology called tri-generation. And that's been going for over 10 years. And it's a very strong uh, showcase of the technology, particularly. But there's also projects that have, there was one that was tendered in Andhra Pradesh, in Amaravati, the new capital. It's on hold right now, but that was a 20,000 ton project. There's projects being considered in Kerala, Tamil Nadu, uh, all over the country. We're also supporting one, an industrial district cooling project in Hyderabad. Uh, um, They're shifting the pharmaceutical industry into a sort of township on the outside called Pharma City, and that's going to have all of the pharmaceutical industry provided with cooling for a district cooling network and also heating for a district heating network So there's a lot all over india i think projects are starting to come up cities are showing interest there's a yeah like a groundswell let's say of, of, of projects now um, coming to the fore
1: okay that that sounds quite and yeah it's across geographies like north south east west everywhere So. You can see yeah. already some kind of uh, things already being implemented. So what, when we're talking about this, what is the kind of efficiency improvement we are looking at compared to the normal refrigeration
0: or AC that we are using yeah. at home? Yeah. So this is always a difficult question for district cooling people to answer. And I'll explain why. When we are... So a typical building, say if you were in a shopping mall in Delhi, it's probably got underneath it something called a water-cooled chiller and that is using um, water on the roof through a cooling tower to keep the building cool Um, so compared to that system like the best-in-class shopping mall system it probably can save district cooling can probably save 20-25 percent of the energy used Um, it can also save on cost and also there are benefits around refrigerants but when we look at systems that are using air con- air cooled chillers, or you know even buildings that are just covered in AC units, and you can see those all up the side, the facade of the building, there we can start to see see efficiency gains of up to 50%, because really um, it's just cooling each individual build, each individual room on a building with its own air conditioner. There is a lot of inefficiencies around that, and also the district cooling. You know when you go from a when you you must know it when you go from a building which is each room has got its own air conditioner to one that's centrally cooled which is what's needed for district cooling you actually have a better service so you have ducting which is also you know cleaning the air in the building is able to better stabilize the temperature so actually it's it's actually providing a better cooling service anyway and then on top of that um we can we can save energy by providing it centrally and piping it to the building
1: um yeah yeah okay okay so it means yeah again i'm I'm sure it's variable based on what exactly the system yeah. components are so that would be difficult but yeah that at least uh helps understand that okay this is quite significant when we are talking about 25 to 50 percent of efficiency gain then exactly
0: that's yeah when you think at, when you think at how much you know in some states power can cost right like In Maharashtra, you know, power prices are really high. So if you can save 50% of your power purchasing, obviously you have a bit more upfront cost with the piping, but really over the long term, you should be seeing like big benefits um, economically. And that's the argument which, you know, it's not just from UNEP side or from government sides. It's a lot of private sector starting to wake up to that because it helps their balance sheet ultimately.
1: Yeah, absolutely. But here then one of the challenges that I do see is that uh, we already have a lot of built up area. We already have a lot of buildings, a lot of uh, industries in place. Can it be brought into existing infrastructure projects or uh, is it difficult? Because in India, particularly, you don't have these two piping structures, uh, one for hot and one for cold.
0: So yeah, how yeah. can that function out? Yeah. So just, just to clarify, I think majority in India, you don't need to have a hot water pipe running under the road. I think the level of hot water demand in buildings is probably not high enough for most cities. But definitely we would be promoting the cooling pipes for the district cooling. And I think it's it is certainly possible to do it in existing areas there are reasons it's more difficult but there's actually reasons it's also easier um and i'll try to be brief but the when you imagine you have a greenfield area so you know a whole new township being developed and you know it's a flat barren piece of land you have to sell those you have to sell those plots of land and then you have to wait for the buildings to come and you have to wait for people to buy the buildings and start using cooling and all of that adds a lot of uncertainty meanwhile, you're trying to plan out your district cooling project. So trying to match the real estate timescale to your district cooling project can be difficult. But obviously, when you go to a brownfield area, you know, and we, we worked on a project in Pane, which was a brownfield area of, of a couple of shopping malls, some offices, a hospital. You already know exactly what those buildings are using. You know exactly their cooling needs and you know they're going to keep using it year after year. So you can design your system more exactly. And as soon as it's installed, you know the customers will be paying. So on that level, it's quite advantageous. And a lot of companies like in Malaysia are looking at these brownfield projects as a way to de-risk overall. But it's difficult as well, because in India and other countries, you don't necessarily know what's under the roads. There might be all sorts of um, challenges, digging up the road, stopping traffic, But there's a lot of solutions for that, you know, like they can install these pipes very quickly now, and obviously you can do this ground penetrating radar which can tell you what's there, so no not to dig, so I think it's. There is a lot of existing infrastructure in India, I think our recommendation would be look at a couple of buildings or three buildings which are looking for this kind of service, maybe they're changing their chillers in the next three four years. Um, or maybe they just want to go for a more sustainable option start with that and then slowly expand and one of the biggest district cooling systems in the world um, is in paris france and this started exactly like you know paris was has been built it's been there for you know hundreds and hundreds of years a small district cooling network started in one corner of paris and slowly slowly expanded so now it covers the whole city and that's how i think it would would happen in India's cities as well
1: so so if i can understand that that makes it like a more modular system so that you can keep on increasing it
0: yeah yeah and that's that's the key best practice after you know this industry's been around for a while and i think most industry experts would say keeping it modular starting (laughs) small slowly expanding it really de-risks the project and you know make sure you have the customers that are going to be buying it. And, you know, you can plug in, you can put in different district cooling plants in the city. They can all be connected together, kind of like a spider web going out. Um, yeah. And that's that's what happened in Paris. They, I think they have five or six different district cooling plants spread out over the city. And they also capture the, the cold water from the river and use it to keep okay. the buildings cool, which is kind of interesting.
1: Yeah. Yeah, that, that that absolutely makes it. And yes, if you can actually make a web of these things, it does make sense that, okay, it will be much more efficient on a much larger scale, put yeah. it this way. But here then I think, again, this might be a stupid question, but uh, can then, because it's the same amount of cold water coming in everywhere, how does temperature modulation happen in each built apartment or Uh, every place so like if my room requires only 26 degrees and you Mm, want 22 degrees in your room how does that differentiation happen
0: yeah so well so what we have is obviously the the district cooling network will be providing you with to your buildings doorstep cold water around five six degrees celsius let's say it changes in different geographies but it's around that what your building has in its basement would be a heat exchanger between your building's internal centralized cooling system and the district cooling system. So you might, you know, be running your internal cooling system at around, the, as in the, the temperature of the water going around the building at maybe fifteen degrees Celsius. Let's say doesn't mean that's the temperature of the rooms. So that that water is pumping around your building at then fifteen. And then inside your room, you'll have a fan coil, or you'll have you know ducting, coming blowing cold air into your room. Depends how how you're doing it, and that will set the temperature in your room at what you desire. So that's one of the key key reasons a lot of a lot of a lot of customers go for district cooling is you know just like electricity, you can just flick the light on and off, and you have cooling coming. You can modulate the temperature as you want it, and of course you know. There's the environmental benefits as well. But, you know, most people aren't thinking about that. They just want cooling when they want cooling and a lot, especially commercial customers. Um, so it's it's um, it's very, very able to modulate the temperature as you need. Yeah. OK,
1: OK, that that sounds quite uh, basic heat exchanger principles that we are using yeah. eventually. And yeah. uh, OK. So in that case, the service model part that you had said that we are actually selling cold water over here for this. So how yeah. does that function out? So if you're using less amount of water, if you're using higher temperatures, uh you will lose yet less
0: water and accordingly we will, will be built less. Right? Something like that? Yeah. So so the way they the way they typically work is they'll have a fixed charge. So Even if you don't consume any cold water, you'll have a fixed charge, which can be, you know, for some people a bit controversial to get their heads around. But normally it's accepted as standard, just like electricity. You have a fixed charge for electricity, right, even if you're not using it. And then per per refrigeration ton hour, they say, but basically per unit of energy that you consume from the cooling system, you'll build on that. And there's a set tariff and there'll be a you'll have a cooling service agreement which basically is setting out the um the tariff and and how that will change over time. So you have a lot of transparency over what you're going to pay and often almost universally these are provided with much better metering than you currently have on your cooling system. So you really will know exactly how much you're using. And yeah, obviously, you know, if you're if you're using 20% less in one month and then, you know, 40% more, that's just re- reflected in the monthly bill. Um, just like for power, just like for gas, um, and more and more just like for water as well. Obviously, water metering is yeah. not everywhere, but yeah. Okay, so that's that's quite straightforward
1: in that way. Uh, so what is the, if we, if we now have to go to the technical side of execution, what is the broad process of developing this for any, you know, district or any community? What all things are we looking at uh, to be at least be taken into account while developing
0: any of the system? Yeah. So I think one thing that definitely true is very, very early and I think this process will be a bit different if it's a city or a real estate developer, but I'll try and speak generally for both of them. I think very early on, if you have a sustainability criteria for the area, or you know, a strategy that you want to be uh, more sustainable development. Maybe you want to get a IGBC code for the area or something like that. I think it's really great to set out early on that you you want to have an efficient efficient cooling, and so because cooling is probably going to be fifty percent of your building's energy need. So you, early on, you you have that target or strategy around cooling, and then. I think there are consultancies or even within UNEP we have capacity to give a simple uh, look at the project and say, does this project make sense for district cooling? Or maybe it's only one part of the project which will make sense. You know, district cooling isn't going to be able to uh, work in areas which aren't very dense. um, Or if there's, uh, you know, if it's just a social housing development, it's possible, but it would be it would be a more difficult project than if it was a mixed use area. Um, so, I think that first upfront look from a district cooling expert to be able to say whether it makes sense or not is a key step and Here I'd give a word of caution: a lot of real estate companies or even cities have h v a c advisors who aren't necessarily attuned or well versed in district cooling or maybe might be disincentivized to recommend district cooling um so I think it's good to get a neutral opinion there um from just an engineer who understands it. And then from there, what we would do is typically do a master planning of the area where we would look at where the buildings are coming up, the kind of timing of the buildings, what sort of cooling demand they have, different hourly demands. And from there, develop a kind of pre-feasibility study um, for a district cooling system. And that would really take down, you know, what's the network layout approximately, what kind of sources of cooling should we use should we use electric chillers should we use tri generation are there any renewables we can use um and then from there we typically take the project through a feasibility assessment and um, which a detailed project report can be developed off the back of and then you know depending if it's a city they could then go through a tendering process um for you know, bringing in private capital into the project, or maybe they want to develop it themselves. It's up to them. Uh, so they might just tender it for a EPC contractor. Um, and then once that, that, that uh, tender is done and the project is ready to be constructed, then it just goes into a normal um, project construction. And what it will be trying to do if it's a greenfield area is trying to match the development of the real estate. And there's always delays. In real estate, you know, a green flagship township might say we're going to be 100% capacity in the next four years. 15 years later, half the buildings are still empty. And so the district cooling operator is taking a risk there, but they'll be trying to develop it in a way which matches that um, as much as possible. And that's why it's also important to have expert district cooling companies at least advising or if, you know, investing in the project alongside a city or alongside a real estate developer, because they've most of them have faced those issues over the last 20 years and really understand how to mitigate those risks. Um, but yeah, so that's that's the general process. And one other thing I think, which is really critical, cities can do um, as well as launching that project, is also look at the policies they can use to de-risk the whole project. So uh, a lot of examples globally of cities using their planning power to require buildings to connect to the district cooling system. And what that does. It de-risks the whole project because we know the building's going to connect. Um, but also, you know, is, is a way for the city to, you know, ensure buildings are, are, are meeting higher sustainability standards. And their role there would also be convincing the real estate developers that what they're putting in makes sense for them. And other things like cities can give land or their land can be used for district building plants and they can get an equity share in the project. They obviously can give rights of way for the pipes to go under the roads. And they can also work to bring different renewable technologies they might they might be already working on. So if they're developing solar, they can look for models where they can provide low cost power to the district cooling system. So lo- lots of ways cities can support. Um, but yeah, that, that's the general process. Um,
1: yeah. yeah, and uh, so uh, this sounds... This Quite interesting because then it's quite because it's a hundred year old technology. Let's put it yeah. the process is quite evolved already. The, exactly, yeah. And so, so what? So with renewable energy, is geothermal also a possibility over here that you can use it? And
0: definitely, yeah. So um, there's different types of geothermal, as you know. So um, we have very hot geothermal, um, and there we can use something called an absorption chiller which will basically take the heat, turn it into cooling. So in Paris, for example, there's a geo, geothermal um, project which produces heating and cooling. But you also have um, something called geo-exchange, which is using the fact that underground is actually often cooler than hmm. above ground. Um, and there we can capture that difference using a heat pump um, and actually you know, provide buildings with, with cold water that way. So diff- different ways, uh, geothermal, we definitely count. Another one, uh, we see a lot of is capturing waste heat from, say, power plants or industries and using that to drive absorption chillers rather than just let it you know, dissipate into the air. Um, that's a really key renewable technology for, for, um, for uh, district cooling. And also, you know, if you've got a sea or lake or river nearby Depending on the temperature, we can use it um, either to produce the cold water needed or at least to help us in the cooling towers to um, to 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 use part of that cooling energy in the cooling towers. Um, So many different renewables. Solar thermal as well is one that has been used, uh, taking the waste heat from waste incinerators rather than letting that go into the atmosphere. I know there's a lot of waste incinerator projects in India. Obviously, they're quite far from developed areas often. But, you know, if the district cooling system is large enough, you could justify a pipe going from a waste incinerator, waste incinerator 10 kilometers away because you're getting free energy for your district cooling system. So you could cool down a whole city neighborhood just from the waste that it's produced and it's already burning, you know, 10, 15 kilometers distant.
1: Those, those big distances are feasible to do it uh, of
0: 10, yeah, yeah. kilometers. Yeah, yeah, there's 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 district heating projects where they pipe heat for over forty kilometers. Wow. So it's all possible, but you know it's it's building, it's having that solid district cooling system there, which you know is going to use it to justify yeah. the investment in the pipeline, and those things don't always line up, you know, and yeah, but going forward they should, and you know India is you know, I, I read that, you know, you're going to have three times as much commercial floor area in 20 years, like you have so much potential for this kind of, um this kind of system. But it just really needs that forethought four, four, four and planning to really yeah. say, okay, this city is going to be using huge amounts of cooling for the next 100 years. Let's think now how we're going to do that, rather than let it just happen. And then suddenly you know electricity spikes and you know brownouts are happening or blackouts across the city so it's the 4-4 it's the planning which really district cooling needs and that is something a lot of cities struggle with globally and i think it's not it's not just india it's not just the global south in the north in where i'm from the uk district heating hasn't taken off uh, like other countries developed it uh, it's taking off now but I think a big part of that is the forethought on energy planning, um, which is really, really crucial. So we're 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 keen to support cities in India on that kind of uh, forward thinking. How are you gonna cool your city over the next 50 years? How are you gonna how are you gonna power it? Um these are the big questions that lead to those kind of big projects. Um, absolutely,
1: absolutely that's true. And I think those questions are very important at this point and junction as well. So while you're developing renewable energy resources, you also are developing more efficient ways to do every other thing possible so yeah. uh, what are what are the different challenges that you have found in
0: executing such projects in India as of now i think one one key challenge and so we started working in india um in twenty fifteen i think, and I think one key challenge at the beginning was just People not really knowing about the technology. It was definitely very like you'd walk into a room talking about something which, you know, no one in the room had maybe heard of or like very few technical people had, but a lot of policymakers hadn't, hadn't really caught on. Or they thought it was just something, you know, from very developed countries like, you know, the Middle East, Singapore. But it's so breaking, building that knowledge and understanding, breaking some of those myths, you know. There's district cooling projects in many, many different countries like Colombia, Malaysia, Thailand, China, all over the world. There's district cooling projects coming up. It's not just Dubai, (laughs) you know, which is, you know, it's a different kind of development to a lot of Indian cities. So breaking that myth was the big one. I think the pace of real estate in India is quite challenging. I was speaking to one developer around Mumbai who was saying they'll... Think of a building and then two years later it's built. And these are like huge, huge, huge office towns. Whereas that process in Europe, say, would be like five to 10 years. So that amount of time to, to plan exactly what kind of energy infrastructure you want is, is useful. But that shouldn't be an issue as long as the real estate developer says, this is my timeline for these buildings. And at the same time I'm as all the other infrastructure, I'm also going to build the cooling pipes under the roads. So it shouldn't be an issue. Um, the I think another key one is city capacity. You know, um, a lot of district cooling projects are, you know, are best are best developed when the city is really involved and is able to help in the planning, is able to help promote them, convince stakeholders. And India cities, obviously, everyone knows, have a capacity challenge. You know, they've got services such as sanitation public transport all of these things that they're trying to improve at the same time and you add on cooling obviously they really care about their citizens and thermal comfort etc but they're probably going to be saying and this happened to us why should i care about how a shopping mall is cooling (laughs) like when i've got social housing projects i'm trying to develop here which you know it's like and it's true like it's it's a capacity challenge and obviously cities in more developed countries have got more funds to spend on this kind of project that's why we're trying to promote models where the district cooling system can actually reimburse kind of the the city's expenditure of capacity of having officials engaged so a lot of projects might have a concession area where they're allowed to operate but every year could pay a concession fee to the city just to help you know keep the So the city has some benefit. And the city can use that on something completely different. Or it could invest it into, you know, cool roofs in a slum area or, you know, uh, you know, less developed area of the city. It could use it on many different projects. And that's, I think, something we'd be promoting in India quite hard. Um, so kind of reimbursing the city's time. I think other challenges is a lot of district cooling developed in countries like Northern Europe, also. So uh, Japan, Korea, readily available supply of gas, wasn't so controversial to use gas. So they have gas cogeneration, tri-generation. A lot of systems developed off the back of that. Um, India doesn't have a huge experience of tri-generation. It doesn't have those established gas network. And of course, now gas is a bit more questionable as a fuel as we look forward to trying to decarbonize the energy system, but you know, as Many challenges, many positives, and I think the balance of it is the positives do outweigh. I think almost every city in India should be looking to start at least an initial small project and probably has got some private, private, especially the big metros, will have a lot of private real estate that's already doing it, but just not calling it district cooling. They're just saying, well, we've got four buildings and we just cool them from the same place. no one's called it district cooling but okay so i think it's 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 definitely uh it's definitely on the way up um but really uh, when india published their cooling action plan first country in the world i think one key thing from it was district cooling was there which for for a start we were extremely happy about because it shows the importance it's also saying in the longer term district cooling can significantly displace air conditioning and i think that is that's the point is that this is a long term vision. And so, to get to that long term vision, cities can start with three, four buildings and then, you know, test it. How does it work? Does it make money? Is it something we can slowly expand? It's not asking cities, okay, you need to develop your whole district cooling <laughs> across your whole city because it doesn't work like that. It's a 20, 30 year project of slowly expanding. Um, so, that's that. And that's how you overcome those challenges, basically, You start small and grow out
1: absolutely you know that, that it's it's important and i think that is where the m- modularity of the system will be helpful because unless and until you can experiment valid, validate it for the local conditions and yeah. people have trust in it i don't think so taking up a huge project would be advisable otherwise it might not lead to the returns that we were expecting
0: uh, i think i mean big projects they do make good returns. It's not that. It's more. Yeah. It's you know. It, it's hugely variable. So, for example, this Hyderabad city, farmer city project we're working on. You know, that's going to be one of the biggest district cooling projects in Asia if it's developed. That is a large project which is going to be economically viable. But you know, a small a small project in a city, uh, especially a tier two city, three four buildings. If you can have more, great, but, you know, don't be don't be put off because that's all you've got right now, or, you know, and it will slowly expand. So even Rajcott, where we're supporting district cooling into their smart city plan and all of this, the key recommendation is don't put all of the pipe infrastructure down right now. Let's wait to see what buildings come. You know, the building class might even change from commercial to residential or, you know. So start in a corner of it, work out, uh, spread out that would be the key, key recommendation um, and and i hope i really hope cities in india pick it up um, yeah. that would be amazing
1: absolutely true that's true and so what what is the percentage range of price variation we would look at in comparison yeah. to the normal cooling
0: over here yeah so it's the the thing is that i i'll start slightly back on your question no one really knows how much they're paying for cooling like how much do you pay for? Cool? Like, okay. Uh, so no one knows that. No one knows the answer to that. You might have a rough idea because you're like, maybe it's half my electricity, but then you know yeah, how much are you paying? It's... How much are you paying on the maintenance of your AC? How much did you pay for the AC? Are you saving up to buy the replacement for the AC? And so all of these factors make saying what is your cost of cooling a bit challenging. But obviously we can yeah. do it, we can work it out. And what we find is with district cooling. The projects we've assessed in india anyway is we should be able to give a sort of 10 to 20 percent discount on what companies are already paying or buildings are already paying but there's also vast complexities with that different buildings pay different electricity prices for example uh residential compared to commercial tariffs is hugely different the district cooling system might try to you know subsidize the residential to to make sure the residential customers connect compared to the commercial but generally we should be able to get 10 to 20 percent at least i think in a well-designed project once you take all of that into account and that's i think when a district cooling operator goes up to a building they might ask you what are you paying for cooling and then they'll they'll help them calculate you know how much did you pay on this tick on these on your maintenance team over the last five years? How much did you spend on refrigerants? How much did you spend on? And when you add it up, I think uh, people will also be surprised actually um, how much did you spend on it?
1: Yeah, because um, here one of the one of the major things I see as different is that my capex is gone. Technically, if I'm putting a new yeah. system, uh, in comparison to that, my capex is gone. Uh It's just the opex. So opex might be a bit higher than uh, the normal OPEX, but somewhere
0: over the years, it might be a bit lower. Is that true? It depends. So sometimes what you have is something called connection charge, where to connect to the district cooling system, they'll make you pay an upfront lump sum, which could, it's basically like CapEx. And you also have to pay for your, you know, the internal piping in your your, um, building, the heat exchanger, Different projects, it might be on you to pay for the heat exchanger. So there's some upfront CapEx. Um, but yeah, it's like um it is like a a service model, you know. You don't have to, when you connect to the electricity system, you don't have to pay for the whole electricity system of the city. You're paying for like the fact that 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 system has already been capitalized over several years, and you know, but you are paying to connect, but you know, it's not like you have to pay for the whole thing. So I think definitely. Customers like it because obviously they can save money up front. They don't have to put, you know, three whopping great chillers in their basement. They don't have to put cooling towers on their roof. They also can use the basement for something else like car parking and the roof for something else like a garden or, you know, these things. And yeah, they can, they they connect and they, they can see exactly the return, uh, the the cost saving. For the district cooling operator, it's just like any high cap, OPEX, uh, low OPEX model. So they say so, just like it's not exactly like renewable power, but it's similar. You're putting a lot of money up front because you know the savings are coming down the road yeah. from a lower OPEX, right? And that's 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 where a lot of project financing would would would, would uh, be be different, I think, compared to somebody replacing their air conditioner every, you know, yeah. well, six years if if you want to keep on top of the efficiency more like 10, 15 years if,
1: you know, you're not. True, true. So I'd like to come down to our last question
0: that is on skill
1: sets, because we have been talking about this. We have talked quite in depth. And I would like to now understand that uh, because we are trying to understand what's the future of work over here. If you want to bring district cooling to India, what all different kinds of skill sets we would require? And at a large scale, if you want to bring it in. What are the different skill sets that would be required to be able to bring this to action?
0: I think the first thing to say is a lot of skill sets already exist in India for this. So there's large shopping malls already installing centralized cooling systems. Um, you know, There's expertise in, in digging up roads, putting pipes in. I think there's some specific skill sets around district cooling around the planning side. Um, Making sure that you know, well, urban planners understand it, and that's just a capacity building exercise. That you have um, consultancy companies um, able to help actually plan out and design the network. I think that skill set needs to be built up, and so for now, I think it's good to have a hybrid of consult- international and local consultancies working on projects. Same on the legal side. Same on the same on the financing side in terms of actually delivery i think there's some specifics around welding um and actually welding pipes together but these are like very easy barriers to overcome um i, I think generally it's not it's not going to be an issue i think it's something which will just slowly transition into into indian companies so we're already seeing indian companies interested in Building up their own district cooling capacity, they might be bringing some international experts in right now, and you know, bringing them to the, to transfer that knowledge. But a lot of a lot of a lot of countries are in the same boat, building that up um, slowly, bringing international experts in to s- establish the industry domestically. Um, so yeah, I don't I don't see it as a big big barrier to be honest.
1: Okay, thank you so much. If This was quite interesting conversation. If I've missed out on anything and you would like to cover it up I think uh, we can do it right
0: now. There's just one other one which I think is interesting because you know a lot of cities in India are also very water stressed and I know this is a big issue especially cities like Chennai. There was just one other thing I wanted to mention is I know a lot of cities in India are really water stressed especially cities like Chennai is that with district cooling one of the one of the reasons that it's developed, and it's, this is one of the reasons it really did well in the Middle East as well, I think, is it doesn't need to use potable water for air conditioning. So a lot of water-cooled chillers, like I mentioned earlier, they're using drinking water to basically cool down a building, which doesn't make any sense if drinking water is an issue in the city. So what we can use is something called treated sewage effluent, which is basically water that's been treated but, you know, not to the same standard as drinking water and use that in cooling towers. And that's much more easy to do in a centralized location than trying to do that in each individual building. So that's another key benefit, I think, especially cities in water-stressed areas can think about um, as a reason to go for it. So, yeah, just to follow up question over here. So this is a closed water
1: system and how much of water replenishment we would require to do this thing?
0: Uh, so, yeah, so it's it's you have you have the, the district cooling pipe under mm. the ground that's a closed water system yeah so the water being pumped to the buildings you know there's a heat exchanger it Go. there's a yeah. return pipe bringing the water back that's the closed system but then in the district cooling plan just like on a normal shopping okay. mall you have cooling towers which are running and those cooling mm. towers are often using water to to cool an electric chiller in in the district cooling plant or or a tri-generation system and that's where water gets used and so what i'm saying is for district cooling that water we use there doesn't have to be drinking water and i think that's a huge benefit and it's a way of forcing air conditioning away from well centralized air conditioning away from using um that water uh drinking water
1: yeah, yeah okay this this was very really interesting uh, conversation thank you so much for your time uh, it was surely a pleasure talking to you and understand this in nice technical and financial depth of uh, this is actually possible in india as well at a very good extent thank you so much benjamin
0: yeah thank you so much punit really great talking to you You have
1: been listening to Understanding the Future podcast. To know more about Climate Center for Cities, check out our website www.niua.org. The show is conceptualized, produced and edited by Punit Gandhi, Senior Associate at CQ. You can now subscribe to our podcast on your favorite channel, which can be accessed through the credits. Also, don't forget to follow us on our social media for more updates. Do share your reviews with us and help us spread the podcast to your friends and colleagues. Do write to us if you would be interested in learning about any specific topics. Thank you and stay tuned for our next episode.